You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your host, former prep course ops superintendent and current special reconnaissance training guru, Trent Segmiller. Based on the look on uh, Aaron's face, that was a fantastic clap. The best clap that we've ever had on the One's Ready podcast. Welcome back, everybody. You're with Aaron, Peaches, and Trent, and then the Dagger guys, Jordan and Lance. We'll get to them in a second. First of all, make sure you like, subscribe, leave comments. We've been getting a lot of good comments lately. Keep that train rolling. It's pretty awesome. Second, check out the people that help us out. We have uh, Strike Force Energy, Cardamax, Everly Stock. I don't know who we want to talk about this morning. Probably Alpha Brook Coffee because it's early out there on the West Coast. And... Uh, I'm not saying Aaron looks like he's on the struggle bus, but he could probably use some brew right wow. there with peaches. That's hurtful, but yeah, I mean, it's true. It's like, it's single source. It's never blended. It's never burned. It doesn't taste like bitter Starbucks coffee. It only takes a cup of coffee or two to get me through my day. Caffeine tolerance through the roof. So yeah, I could use some coffee, Trent, but also hurtful. So continue with your plug. That's the end of my plug. Also go out there and check out onesreaded.com to get your merchandise and help support us directly. Today, we're going to be talking about something that I personally don't know that much about, if I'm honest. There are parts of the Air Force, everybody seems to think, uh, you know, you meet someone and they're like, hey, I know this guy in the Air Force. Do you know him? No, no. I, there, there are so many people that I don't know, and there are jobs that I don't know anything about. And one of those jobs is, is the uh, the Dagger program. I'm not sure if it's a, a program or really an, an, its own AFSC or career field, uh, but we have Jordan and Lance here to talk me through it because uh, I'm, I'm pretty ignorant. So uh, Jordan and Lance, welcome to the One's Ready Podcast. How are you guys doing? Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, good as well. Thanks for having us on. So I, I figure we'll just start out with uh, y'all tell us a little bit about yourselves and kind of how you got to where you're at and what that what that means. We'll start with Jordan. Yeah, so uh, I'm Jordan. I'm originally from Illinois. I've been in for about uh, seven years. Um, I've been here stationed at Canyon Air Force Base for uh, three years. Been doing the Dagger thing for about three years. And, uh, yeah, it was a pretty cool opportunity how I got to do it, uh, how they opened it up to the, the entire career field, applying through uh, the assignment management system and getting picked up for it. And it's uh, been a really exciting, uh, really exciting three years so far. And uh, I'm actually a reservist now. I did nine years of active duty uh, in security forces, uh, the last four of which I was uh, with the dagger unit at the first security forces squadron at Herbert Field, and then uh, transitioned over to the reservists this year. And I'm uh, just getting finished up with uh, phase three of the pipeline for the aviation advisor. Could be using the security forces and uh, force protection as skills and assets that I've gained over the years to help support the CA mission. Nice. Okay. So can you just going right back to Trent's kind of initial question? Like when we when we start talking about you know, um, and Jordan, I'll go, I'll go to you on this one. When we start talking about AFSC or Air Force Specialty Code, actually a job versus Dagger. Um, so is it is it obviously security forces and Dagger do two completely different things, but is it actually the same job? Like, can you go straight into Dagger or do you have to go security forces first and then assess for uh, Dagger? Yeah, you definitely have to go security forces first. Dagger falls into uh, the umbrella of security forces. Uh, it's not its own its own AFSC. Uh, it's a special experience identifier that you can get the opportunity to get the 099 uh, SCI. So you definitely have to do your time in security forces first. It's not something that uh, you can just hop straight into straight out of tech school. So for people who want to go security forces on the basis of i just want to be a dagger um just understand that there will be some time put in before you can just go to dagger and how like yeah, it, think, no go for it go for it sorry i was just gonna say it. no that's all good i think it, it'd be good maybe to kind of talk about what what the dagger program kind of the origin of it is too, to kind of get a better idea of, of kind of where where it sprouted from um the program started back in 2007 and for about a decade before that, uh, Air Mobility Command and Air Force had developed the Phoenix Raven program, which was specifically for flyaway security for AMC, for our, for our bird, cargo birds that were flying with AMC. Uh, and around 2007, the AFSOC you know, headquarters basically said, we'd like to have an asset to provide mobile security for our AFSOC birds. 
And so they basically took the Phoenix Raven program and did essentially use that and created a dagger pipeline, dagger chaining for deployed aircraft ground response and element two, by the way, it's, it's an acronym. Um, and so the, the real mission, the real point of the program was to basically, same thing as the Phoenix Raven program, to have a small contingent of security forces personnel to escort our planes as well as our aircraft members in these hostile and non-permissive environments. Uh, but they wanted to have them have a little bit more of a soft skill set. Uh, so it you know started with the Phoenix Raven program and eventually the entire program moved to Herbert Field. But basically using a lot of those purple judo type things, uh, security forces mindset as far as uh, security assessments of airfields, uh, being able to de-escalate things, be able to uh, you know kind of have that close close in sentry to the aircraft and then take some of the soft skills and build upon that as far as personal security, uh, defensive driving tactics, use of encrypted radios, uh, things of that nature. So you guys get a lot of that specialized training after you receive that um, that SEI and that, that assessment, right? Or after yeah. you get selected, rather? The program's taken a little bit of changes, just like any pipeline. I mean, I know even you guys with the special warfare pipelines, there's been a lot of changes to it recently. Uh, but as of right now, the school is about nine weeks. So you start with the ACFCG, which is the Air Force Command, uh, it's Air Commander Field Skills, first down there at yeah. field. And uh, you're, you're mixing with other AFSCs at that point that are within the AFSOC community. And then after that, you get another four, uh, four-ish weeks, four to five weeks of training, depending on the hol- how holidays line up and everything like that, uh, to do your top-off skills that are specific to the dagger skill set. And then it has a culmination FTX at the end of the nine weeks. Hmm. Okay. So I, I feel like I'm hogging it just because I'm like Trent. I, I mean, obviously, I'm tracking daggers. And, and um, I knew that the, the Phoenix Ravens had transitioned into dagger, but like I didn't know the process. So as a security forces, and I know I said I'm, I'm worried that I'm hogging it. I'm just going to do it. So um, sorry. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm on an education journey right now. <laughs> um, so I'm a security forces person, um, first duty station. How long can I, how long do I have to wait? And how do I go about applying to become a dagger? I'll let Jordan take that one because he entered the pipeline more recently and uh, has, has been into it since they kind of changed it into an AMS uh, assignment management system higher. So let me take it. Yeah, definitely. So um, there has been some changes. Now it, uh, there's a rank requirement, ranking in and ranking out. So you have to be a senior airman minimum, and you rank out for your chance to get into the program at Master Sergeant. If you haven't already uh, gained your SCI by Master Sergeant, you you really don't have a whole lot of hopes of uh, getting a billet for, for Dagger. Um, so you do get into your first duty station. Um, if you're lucky enough to say you got somewhere like Herbert Field or Ken Air Force Base, you could do your time, hit that senior airman mark, and then you could apply, and you have a pretty good chance of getting it. There are some possibilities there. Um, for me personally, I was had been a senior airman for a little while. I was at Effie Warren Air Force Base. Uh, I had just, I believe, I just got a line number for staff, and the opportunity for there came up on AMS. So I applied and was fortunately enough was picked up for that. So let's be honest, you're looking, um, say you come in as an A1C, uh, a couple of years, probably, uh, realistically, before you can put in for Dagger. Uh, maybe give or take, maybe a little sooner, um, but it is a process. It's not something you can just jump straight into. Okay. So how hard, like what it, Again, I'm, I'm hogging. No, nope, nope. Stop it. I'm going to ask okay. it. Okay. What, what's that process look like? What What do you need to be ready for? What's the training look like? Jeez, Jared. I just I love the fact that that Peaches is just like I just don't understand these things. I just truly want to know. I'm just trying to ask. Like it's coming from the most pure place too, which is the it, best part about it. He's just actually excited. Yeah, I, it's it's again the whole reason why we exist. Uh, yeah. So yeah, go. Uh, so my experience, I mean, definitely with, uh, with the dagger pipeline, um, you know, waking up at five every morning, you're going to go do PT, um, some type of selected PT program, uh, that dagger is running. So being very, uh, physically capable, which is being in shape, um, you don't have to be, um, an Olympic athlete. You just have to be physically healthy and in shape, uh, be able to 
uh, pass your PT test with above a 90, uh, the 90 percentile, um, be able to rock six miles, be used to carrying weight, uh, about 35 pounds in your ruck plus wearing your vest and being able to do uh, six miles in under 90 minutes. So you will become very accustomed to running for distance and then definitely rocking while you're in the pipeline. Well, and we get this question all the time and it's not really from us about our pipelines. I'm sorry if I cut you off, uh, uh, Lance. Um, But like, we're going to get the questions as soon as we release, release this, they're going to be like, okay, well, but what does that mean? What are the numbers that I should be shooting for exactly? How fast do I need to be able to run a mile and a half? Like when you talk about running distance, are we talking seven miles or are we talking 26 miles? You know what I mean? Like, so like maybe talk about where you were or where you think the, uh, the numbers are that would create a successful candidate. Um, and then you're rucking and all that other kind of stuff. Cause we're going to get the very specific questions. And we're just going to refer them back to y'all. Yeah, it's going to be the mo- like the least efficient process. They're going to be like, well, how far should I run for how many? Also, can I ask you guys, do you guys think that uh, 34 years old is too old to become a dagger? Because we get that question all the time and it makes me so upset. Has nothing to do with 34. Ryan. Yeah, they're just like, hey, have you ever seen? I'll ask you this question. Has, have you guys ever seen a blonde haired kid from Iowa that's five foot eight and 145 pounds? Has he ever made it to Dagger? Because that means the person asking the question, they can make it too. I've, I've seen said person. Uh, not I don't know if it's specifically the one that you're referring to, but I've, I've seen. Uh, and it's not going to work. They want to know. They want to know specifically for them. They want to hear from you, Lance. Are they going to make it? And if they don't, it's your problem. So go yeah. ahead. Well, yeah. I, what what I will say is that I, I've I've helped instruct at the three seventy first uh, schoolhouse to I probably helped instruct five or six classes over the, the years I was active duty, uh, and like I said, I've watched the pipeline take some changes, um, and one of those changes was changing a standard from uh, it used to be fifty push ups, fifty fifty sit ups, you know, Air Force style sit ups, and then uh, the mile and a half run. The old standard was under eleven twenty, uh, which is a completely achievable. Uh, number and th- even to, to bring up your question on age, uh, you know, sometimes if we have a tech sergeant coming through, that person might have 10, 12 years of experience uh, on their shoulders in the Air Force compared to uh, A1C or senior, senior airmen. Um, so I, I would always tell anyone to shoot for what those standards were, were right? And I'm sure you guys, uh, you know, have, having people ask questions about the special warfare pipelines, you know, what number should I be shooting for? You know, the bare minimum should be. Should be not even a thought in your mind, right? If you're concerned about hitting hitting the bare minimums, then you're obviously not physically ready. So you should be completely crushing it. You know, I'd say it's like your worst day. You know, you're you've had low sleep. You're not your nutrition's kind of been crap. Uh, maybe you're not feeling that 100, and you can still pass it. Then you're you're probably somewhere on the right track. Would be my advice. As far as the the distance, uh, now this comes up a lot with rocking because security forces as a career field, uh, it's, it's kind of a foreign environment for them. Uh, you know, we're used to having load bearing gear and a plate carrier and having to carry a rifle and all that stuff. And that, you know, that stuff typically, depending on what size plates and all that kind of stuff, it's 25-ish pounds of, uh, of gear. Um, you know, the rucks are not super heavy. I would tell anybody to basically shoot for anywhere from 35 to 45 pounds uh, in their in their ruck and be able to do up to that six miles without, without an issue. Um, and keeping at that kind of standard infantry pace of 15 minute mile. Uh, if you're if you're lagging below that, then you you gotta really figure out kind of what to do. And unfortunately, rucking just like I mean, I'm sure all you guys all know, it's, it's like it's very dependent on kind of your biomechanics. If you're a short guy or or, or a gal, because you know this program is open to women as well. If you're a short guy or gal, you're gonna have to play the shuffle game where you you know you double time in a little bit, you walk for a little bit, you double time for a little bit. Um, and obviously doing something like that takes, takes some time to build up to it. So I would tell anybody to look for a rushing program, free ones out there as well as there's plenty that, uh, you know, operators out there put out stuff to purchase, uh, start building up for it. And then, uh, the other, the counter counter piece of that is rushing is not the most important thing in the schoolhouse for, for dagger. Uh, if you're, if you're like, I'm going to rough 50 miles a week, well, you're probably at that point, you're probably going to be doing more harm than good. Um, you got to be able to hit the standard, but you don't want to break your body down in the process. And I'll, I'll kind of let Jordan speak to maybe a little bit of the things that you found challenging, of course. But the last thing I will say, and this has been a huge issue for the Dagger Pipeline in years past, is the pipeline happens down here at Herbertville, Florida. And in the summer, it is hot. Uh, there was a period of time where we were not doing courses in the summer because 
come 6 a.m., you're in black, black conditions, and it wreaks havoc on the body. Uh, I'm, I'm a certified strength conditioning coach, and if you look at publications on what happens to your VO2 max in the human body, when you go from 70% humidity to 100% humidity, it just completely pulls out all your cardiovascular ability. You sweat a lot more, you're going to lose a lot more salt, you're going to fatigue a lot earlier. So if anybody is looking to do the dagger pipeline and you're coming from someplace where it's a cool, crisp, you know, temperate environment, uh, start start doing something to heat it up. Get get in a sauna, go to hot yoga, start doing something that's going to get your body acclimated to a hot environment because the conditions down here during some of the courses are brutal and we have lost students in the past to heat casualty types of conditions. Yeah, we, uh, we, did, we did a lot of studies into exactly like how that affects human performance and, you know, because we're at San Antonio too for our pipeline. And I mean, it was exhaustive, the research they did. And it was even harder for the instructors to completely ignore it and throw it away and keep the schoolhouse mm -hmm. in San Antonio. So that was probably the hardest part for us was knowing that that information is out there and then not caring and not doing anything with our standards. That was, that was a really tough part for us. Right. Sorry, yeah, that's the, that's actually the excuse that I have uh, whenever I'm in the heat. I just cardiovascular is gone. <laughs> yeah, I said that joke yeah. deadpan enough that the joke didn't even register. So I'm hoping it's going to be a fun little grenade on the podcast. People can just be like, is Aaron serious? Did they really just ignore all that? No, we, we did the same thing. They're just like, yeah, listen, it's really going to affect your performance. I hope you guys figure this out anyway. Uh, <laughs> Yes, we just ignore everything you say. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, Jordan, I did want to ask you kind of more on the, like the pipeline sort of things. So we've mentioned the pipeline a couple of times. So, you know, let's say that you got a motivated senior airman. They get in, they get the training that they need to do, and they're ready to go. And they're ready to put their name in the hat. They're going to go to AMS or they're going to talk to their careers advisor and they're going to go and, and get their AMS slot. Like, do you guys call it assessment and selection? Is it? Uh, an in-doc course, what do you call your initial look at those people? No, so the initial look is just through AMS. Currently, active duty, um, unless it's done locally, we've done some vetting process uh, for local hires. But uh, me personally, my first, I guess you'd say, um, job interview part of the um, job itself was when I showed up to the 371st. And I was being looked at uh, by the instructors, even uh, Lance, actually, he was one of my, uh, the guest instructors for my course. So that's when they first get a uh, real like eyes on look at us. Um, and then we start kind of that job interview or performance to see uh, if we're right for this job. Um, yeah. So two part question there then, what is, what yeah. is that like, you know, showing up to your first station and just having being like, okay, well, here we go. And then, you know, what are some of the events that you can talk about? Like, is there a formalized, I know you guys have a formalized course that you go through, but are there any additional schools? Like what is your pipeline? What does it consist of? So you show up to uh, air command, no field skills course. Uh, like Lance has said, uh, multiple different AFSCs. You get everything from shooting to driving. Um, it's, uh, it's a very fun course. I'd say a little more uh, laid back. Uh, you do have a lot of different AFSCs. We were still doing um, morning rocks about two times a week with our dagger cadre. They would come in in the morning and we would uh, get up super early. We'd do our rock. We'd get ready for class to go to ACFC. Now come the, the dagger course, your very first day is your PT test. Um, like Lance has said, we were all, we knew what the, uh, the old standard was and that's what we were um, shooting to meet we uh, or exceed. We didn't want to just barely pass. No one wanted to just barely pass their PT test. That wasn't a very good look. So everyone was uh, shooting for as high as numbers as they could. Um, then from there, um, yeah, it was just getting preparing mentally for each event. Uh, I think there was definitely some people who were nervous. Plenty of us were nervous. We wanted to uh, to make sure we pass because if you fail, there's no guarantee that you get to come back. So it could be an opportunity to miss. So a lot of us were just making sure that we were mentally prepared for those events, our six mile rock, um, our rock run. And then we also had in my class was a four mile boots and uniform run. So just all things that we were um, preparing for. And even prior to, um, I was usually rocking about four miles once a week, nothing, not trying to stress my body too much. Not to mention at that time when I was in Wyoming, it was probably like 
20 degrees with snow on the ground all the time. So rucking was definitely had to be careful, not slipping on the ice or anything, but just making sure physically that I was ready to go and um, practicing up on those skills that you would need. There's um, definitely shooting. Uh, fortunately enough for my old unit, the unit I was at, we got to shoot quite a bit. So I was, and it's something I'm passionate about. I really love. So uh, putting in a lot of time there, uh, land navigation, uh, comms communications, um, again, making sure that we were spun up on the Harris 152s, that we could do that. Uh, mission planning is another big portion of the course. Uh, they'll be asked of you whether you're a senior airman or you're that master sergeant coming in that got hired through AMS. Um, mission planning is definitely important. Being able to articulate to someone who might be being able to get comfortable talking in front of a group of people or um, higher level individuals that you need to instill confidence in them that you know what you're doing and that you're uh, going to execute your plan effectively. So being able to practice all those things, public speaking is definitely a big one. You wouldn't think so, um, but definitely being comfortable, especially if you're that senior airman coming in fresh. Public speaking is huge. I, I don't think people gloss over that a lot. I mean, it's you don't have to be the most uh, articulate, but you at least have to be comfortable enough to be able to stand in front of people and not just freeze. Um, like I said, you don't have to be Simon Sinek and you deliver a perfect speech, but you definitely got to be able to get up there and, and speak. <laughs> um, yeah, I just want to clarify one, one thing you got, you guys threw out an acronym and I, I know that people will ask it. Uh, AMS it's for those out there that don't know it's assignment management system. It's one of the, and we, we have a couple different assignment management systems um, out there, but that is basically where it's, a, it's a, a job listing for your career field, for your rank, and then it gives you a list of all of the positions and locations available, and then you can go on there and you can volunteer for them. So I just wanted to clear that out because I know that we get an AMS question. Um. One thing that uh, we kind of glossed over a little bit and and just because I know, again, I know it's going to be asked is, is there any swimming? Um, like, is there any any kind of any kind of water work, whether it's um, drown proofing or do you have to swim at least 200 meters or, or anything like that? Are there any hoses involved? Listen, I know <laughs> it seems weird, but they're going to ask, like, is there any chance that I could get completely soaked? From head to like we it's a weird question and i know it's probably an aspect war thing but they ask us all the time so we wanted to ask you did you, ever take, today. <laughs> did you ever take a drink of a water bottle and because they're <laughs> going to want to know how the play to avoid that is so i just wanted to yeah i can i can tell you from my experience that um i did get wet uh i, I was a hire through 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 uh, before the assignment management system, and I was at the first field, and we, we did a, a one day assessment. Um, you know, I I got on the beach, my uniform got soaking wet. Uh, I got I got a little bit, I got some sand in some areas that uh, you know I wish I didn't have sand. Um, That's how sand works. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, but in all honesty, like if you expect to get to this course uh, completely dry, that's not going to happen. But to answer your question specifically, there's no pool work involved. There's no swimming requirement. Um, Florida is a wet environment. Uh, the land nav course and where the FTX takes place, uh, it is has a lot of areas that are swamp-like. Uh, it rains in Florida unpredictably all the time. Um, so you're going to get wet in the course, but you will not have to do any kind of swimming evaluation for the course. Now, that being said, uh, you know, there are opportunities to do some follow-on schools, like, you know, we send our guys to, I forget what they renamed it, but survival school, and our guys are eligible to go to water survival as well. So I would tell anybody, uh, it would behoove you to get comfortable at swimming, just as, as a sheer survival aspect. Um, our planes fly over water a lot, and although the Air Force has really the track record with their aircraft, bad stuff still happens. And uh, if you don't know how to swim, you're more of a liability than an asset, in my opinion. So that's my two cents on it. Man, that would suck to be flying over the Atlantic and you survive a plane crash or a helicopter crash and you Only die because you couldn't swim. <laughs> Just you die because you couldn't tread water or swim. That would be terrible. We've been on we've been on duck butts before. So for those that don't know, a duck butt is when a single engine plane goes and they cross the Atlantic, right? There's always a plane that follows those those other planes, right? Just in case something does happen, because bad things do happen. We would talk and typically they're really 
really long flights, man. Fly it on the C-130 with, you know, 60 of your closest friends packed with all the gear that you would need to pick that other plane up. We have laughed like idiots, just that exact same thing as we're sitting there. And, you know, I, I have been, I've flown with Dagger that was doing that before. And I just looked at everybody like, hey, you ready to go down in the North Sea with us? Because it is freezing out there and it sucks. And the guy just looked at me and goes, quite honestly, not. Can we not do that? And I was like, I think the probability is low. But yes, planes do go down and that stuff does suck. Man. Okay, so thanks for the uh, the swimming clarification because I, I genuinely didn't know. Um, what about locations? I know that you guys have, you know, Jordan, you're at Cannon right now. Um, you had mentioned you're at Cannon, and then we talk about Herbert Field, um, the two meccas for for AFSOC. But can you guys go anyplace else um, in terms of being assigned? Uh, yeah, there's uh, there's four active duty locations and there's one guard, one reserve. Uh, the other two active duty are Kadena Air Base in Japan. And then you have RAF Mildenhall uh, in England. As far as your uh, garden reserve, you do have a reserve unit, the 919th out of uh, Duke in Florida. About I think maybe about like 40 minutes away from Herbie, something like that. Yep. Um, and then you have the guard in Pennsylvania, which is the 193rd. Okay, cool. Yeah, it, it's funny that you mentioned, uh, Lance, that you mentioned Florida and the unpredictability of rain. I think it's pretty predictable in the summer. You're you're yeah, going to get an rain. afternoon shower. It's going <laughs> to rain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, I oh, I'm question. sorry. Yeah. Uh, first, uh, I mean, we're talking about like the specifics of the job and all that. I just wanted to know why, why y'all wanted to be daggers. You know, first of all, I think it sounds like you guys are are, are make fun of the Raven folks. You're like, we're like you, you but better, is what I heard. And then you know why why you wanted to to step over there because for everybody that's out there, it's not it's not the easiest decision all the time to go jump into something new, especially after you're already in the Air Force and it, you can get comfortable wherever you're at. And you already know your job. So, so why take the risk and why jump over there for, you know, the extra training and the extra pain uh, to do the job? Yeah, if you don't mind, I'll start this off and let Jordan kind of sum it up. But, um, you know, with with the Dagger program, it's we're not any different than any other security forces person. Uh, I, I I say the only thing that's really Come different, on. you know, the only thing that's really different is your mentality. You're you're there's a lot of people in security forces and crew filled with thirty thousand plus people. Uh, a lot of those people don't actually pick to be security forces. They come in open general, and they get stuck to the job. Uh, and that leads to some some internal problems, which I'm not here to, to rat on my, my previous group or anything like that. But you know, you just you get an assortment of people that have different varying work ethics. Um, the people that go into the Raven program, the people that go into the Dagger program, they just want to do a little bit more. They want to put in the extra 10% in what they do. They just you know, it's, it's a volunteer program. You don't really get snagged anywhere and someone says, hey, you're going to go be a dagger. Um, we do see young people, especially at the at Cannon at Herbert Field, that are you know have the opportunity to go to the program and we see potential in them and try to help mold and do some mentorship. And hey, you've got really good PTs first. Let's focus on, you know, your basic level of security forces training. And then once you're where you need to be, we try to get you in the program because you seem like a good fit. Um, but the, the program itself is, you know, it's not really any, any different. I'll say for myself, like the, I was a I was a washout um, special warfare washout guy, so I was I was a combat patrol trainer for like a year and a half, um, and just kept getting broken, you know, whatever genetic weakness, how do you want to label it? Just it didn't work out for me. But uh, I am a non-quitter, you know what I mean? And just because you don't make it in one one path in your life doesn't mean that you're like oh, throw your hands up and, and quit. I had an opportunity to continue working with the AFSOC community and uh, still do a mission that we. Was, you know important and was protecting you know our aviators and AFSOC community and I was like hell yeah sign me up man there's you know what do I need to do what are the standards let's, let's go do this thing and it was really rewarding for me I deployed Africa twice uh one of one of those is still I think not is still under classified status uh supporting you know some of the cool guys that, that we, we all like to talk about movies and things like that and uh deployed to Afghanistan and really Got to see what was going on there towards the end tail piece of our mission there. Um, so it's extremely rewarding. I mean, you are going to get the opportunity to work with ASOC aviators, which in my opinion are the best aviators in the world. Uh, these guys fly around under nods. You know, you're, you're going to work with host nation folks. You're going to work with you're going to work with an assortment of different people. 
And that's what it's all about. It's about the community of people that you work with. It's, it's, and that's a big thing for the pipeline too. If we, see, we don't have a, as much of a psychological profile to bring people in. But if you're a me guy and not a team guy, then you are not going to be a good fit for the dagger community. Jordan, I, I didn't know if you were going to jump in on that real quick. I, yeah. I got something after you. Yeah, just uh, to add on to it, it was kind of for me, it was just more something kind of a continuation of growth. I wanted to keep adding on. Um, I was lucky enough, my unit before I had come to Canaan Air Force Base to 27 um, was somewhat of a selectively manned unit itself. And we got to do a lot of training. And, and I really, the more I kind of dipped my toe into that type of stuff, I, the more I found out I really liked it. And when I didn't know, I did. And uh, I just wanted to keep continuing that. And I wanted the opportunity to deploy and to get to work with um, just some really talented uh, guys and girls and uh, see where that would take me. So again, same thing, getting to deploy to Africa was an amazing experience. Um, see a couple different countries, work with an amazing host of people um, was just a really awesome experience. It was something that the more I, I put into it, uh, the more I found out that I really enjoyed it. And I wanted to keep working around those people who, really kind of um, would shoot for the stars and really kind of put all their efforts uh, in, into what they were doing. Oh, that's valid. And that's, I think that's a good spot to be in is, you know, um, you hear all the tropes all the time, you know, iron sharpens iron, you know, surround yourself with greatness, that kind of stuff. But like, there's some validity to that is when you surround yourself with people that want to do great things or trying to better themselves, you kind of have no choice but to get better. So um, Lance, you you brought up something, uh, a really good point that I wanted to touch on and, and maybe get a little bit more insight in, or at least just run my suck about it a little bit. But you talked about um, you had originally come into the combat control pipeline, um, you know, injuries, recycles and stuff like that, because of those, those are a lot of the questions that we get about like, hey, what happens if you get injured. And obviously it depends on the severity of the injury because, uh, you know, we can't hold on to you for, for eight months uh, in a pipeline and in kind of a casual status and just wait for you to heal. Um, But if it's a a two or three week kind of thing, then, and depending on the injury, of course, we can hold on to you for a while. Um, But you, you said something that, that, you know, struck a chord with me is the, like, I'm not a quitter. And I think that's a, a really good point. It's because none of these career fields really, we're not looking for quitters. That's just the reality of it. But sometimes things happen, whether it's injuries, whether it's uh, medical disqualifications, whether it's, hey, family issues, because like right now I can't focus on this, you know, something happened, maybe a death in the family or, or something like that. And so now I can't focus on the pipeline. So I need to go into another career field. And whether that's security forces, services, um, you know, maintenance, CE, whatever that is, but you either way, you're not quitting. Um, and you're still given the chance to serve your country and do something that is worthwhile in, in any fashion uh, within the Air Force and, and the Army, Navy, Marines, Space Force, all that kind of stuff. But like, you still have the opportunity to serve, even if it's not what you originally came in for. And the best part about it is for most people, even if you don't get to where you want to initially, you can go do something else and then come back to it. Right. So uh, like, I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as a side note too, the, the, the dagger program we've had, I mean, just the mentality of the people that we that we bring in, uh, they do they do want to go do better, bigger, better things. And you know, the dagger program is it's I don't know, it's like tier four. I don't know. Like you know, it, I I always like to say we're cool enough to wear knots, but we're not cool enough to have beards. Um, <laughs> that's, that's pretty accurate on the scale there that's a that's yeah. a good that's a good gauge like cool enough to have dual tube knobs but not cool enough to have a beard with them okay i got it yeah, yeah. That, that, i got you right um but the dagger program has offered i know a lot of people around me an opportunity to see what the soft community is like and if that's the kind of community you want to live in you're going to understand what the deployment tempo is like you know during four months out eight months back four months out also we, we have a nine alpha alpha mission which 
to put that simply, it's a, it's a 24-hour standby mission to support the anytime, anyplace, anywhere mission that FSOC does. And sometimes you just randomly get snagged and you're out the door unexpectedly. Um, but we've had a lot of guys that have gone blue to green. I, I know three personally that are green braves now because they like, I, I, I like this and I want I want to take the next step. Uh, I've got a former troop of mine right now that's at San Antonio. I don't want to say his name because I think you guys will pick on him. But you know, he really wants to be can a you, DJ. That's been his goal. Can you say his, his whole name, please? Can you just <laughs> whole name Maybe his social thing is like yeah, right? Yeah, no, definitely not. Well, you'll see his pictures of his kids anyway. Um, <laughs> but you know, it offers you that opportunity, to kind of a, as a stepping stone, if you want to go to do bigger and better things within the soft environment. Jordan, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, we've got currently in my section um, definitely people who who want to do more. So right now we have guys everywhere from wanting to retrain to EOD all the way to PJ, or for um, well, one of my buddies, it's going back to the, the PJ now assessment and selection because um, he wants to get another shot at that. So there's definitely, you'll find that's that's kind of a commonality or kind of a norm. You have a lot of people who, once they get into Dagger and they find what they like, uh, some of them want to stay or they want to do more. So uh, going blue-green uh, for an SFAS or an 18X contract or wanting to um, take a step over into that that aspect warfare um, isn't uncommon. Yeah, I, we see it quite a bit. Well, and it's, I, I think it gets after something that we talk about all the time, right? We talk about like traits, like we know what the jobs are, right? Like the, the person that's a combat controller really isn't that much different than a PJ. And those people really aren't that much different than the people that you're attracting to the dagger program, right? What kind of traits do you look for when you see that senior airman, that hard charging senior airman out there, and you can you don't know what it is, but you know it when you see it, right? What traits when you look at that senior airman are like you would make a good dagger? Because we look for things like, and I, I think they're going to be the same things that we look for. You know, we look for teamwork, we look for grit, we look for that ability to problem solve, we look for that ability for public speaking to be able to handle yourself in a room where you might be the lowest ranking individual with the most authority. Um, you know, some some of those things. But you know, Lance, especially for you, when when you look out and you see those perspective hard charging defenders that are just killing it. What traits do you see that are common? Yeah, I'll say, well, I saw one of this just showing up. I can't tell you how many times when I was at the first, we would hold some sort of assessment for people, you know, maybe do something with somebody that looks promising. And, uh, you know, hey, be here at zero five on, on Wednesday morning for PT and we're gonna do a little bit of training and they would just really show up, you know? So that's that's just step one, like just having the willingness to like, hey, I'll, I'll see what this is about, even if it's just curiosity. I don't know if the stagger thing is cool enough, but you know, I'll show up and see what it's about. Um, and then the next piece is just, yeah, having having a no quitting attitude is definitely huge. I mean, that just I feel like that goes without saying. You can beat that horse to death. Um, having the team the team mentality, um, you know, we we operate when um, we deploy from basically two to five man teams. Uh, if you're going out the door, as and when I went to Afghanistan, it was me and one other guy. There's just there's no margin for error with that team. You got to be you got to be on point about what you're doing. You got to be in perfect communication with your your aircraft commanders. Uh, you know, in the commander, the the unit you're you're supporting. There's just you don't just no gaps to fill. So having that team mentality of like you know put your ego aside, even if you don't get along necessarily with someone, and put the mission first. And you're like, all right, this is what we got to do. Uh, I think it's really big, and you'll, you'll, of course, in any kind of environment when people are in a uh, pipeline for a couple months together, you're going to have personality conflicts. But seeing people will be able to put that aside and work towards the mission is, I think, it's a super important, valuable skill. And I've talked to leadership too about getting us uh, a topless program as part of our AMS hire. I really wish they would do it because I think it would allow us to screen people better. Uh, but it has not happened yet. Maybe someday in the future. Got it. And then Lance, from, from your optic, because you're kind of at the other end, right? Like you're just kind of starting your your journey. Were there things that you focused on? Were there, you know, books that you read? Were there some mental preparation, you know, that you did before you got in? Because we get questions on that all the time too, right? Like maybe I don't, I don't know what it means to truly display grit. I don't know what it truly means to be a good team player. Was there anything that you used before you took your journey to the Dagger Pipeline? Or you took that 
Uh, yeah, definitely for me, it was, um, one, as far as like personality wise, just be a decent person, um, be humble. I think those are definitely very good traits and like, they won't steer you wrong. Um, for me personally, I just think that through adversity and, and tough situations like that, I'm just kind of too dumb to quit. Sometimes I just don't want to, I, I either just, you know, suck it up and stick it out and then you, you get what you want or, um, ended up quitting or taking that decision, I think is going to affect you quite a bit longer. And it's going to be something that you're going to look back on and regret. So, um, I know in our office for a while, uh, Jocko was real huge. I, you know, uh, doing a lot of, um, Good. reading on, on him. Yeah. Throw yeah, a car battery into the ocean to start your day, or you don't have a hair on your butt. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I think definitely he has some words of wisdom, um, and that's one that I pulled from. But I should say that was I guess uh, like post uh, my my dagger pipeline. But personally, it was just it's if you're in a tough situation or you're uncomfortable, it's it's going to end eventually. You might as well just just stick with it um, for a few weeks or a few months. You know, it doesn't last forever, and and what you gain is is far better than what you're going to lose if you just if you give up. So I think that's a that's a good way to stick it out. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, I wish I could stay for longer, but I got a plane flight, so I'm going to turn it over to Peaches. I appreciate you guys coming on. I hope that if anybody has any questions, they hit you up. Um, make sure to pass your socials at the end. So, man, I, I really appreciate <laughs> you guys coming on. I'm going to I'm gonna get out of the way uh, because I'm probably just screwing this process up anybody. So, or anyway, so train hard. Later, everybody. dude. I'll Thanks see you. I, it, Trent, was it just me? As soon as he said socials, I'm thinking social security number, not actually like social media. <laughs> Yeah, we were already there. Yeah, yeah. I think it, Aaron is gone now, so now we can say whatever we want. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it, so, man, you got you got a lot of good stuff in there. Both of you guys, uh, especially when it comes to trades and and Jocko, like Jocko's great. Like uh, all jokes aside, the the information that he's putting out there is is fantastic. And Lance, you actually covered something. And I actually had to look it up because I was tracking the whole Tapas thing, and I wanted to tell people what Tapas was. So I had to look it up because I didn't yeah. know what the acronym stood for. But it's Tailored Adaptive Personality Assessment System. So it's essentially a uh, a characteristic test, a personality test that are given to nine career fields within the Air Force that test things um, on, you know, character, ethics, um, decision, ethical decision making, that kind of stuff. So there's nine AFSCs or Air Force specialty codes that that cover that, and it's it's interesting. Like I would think that security forces would be on that list. Um, and even more so putting the daggers on that. And I think, honestly, I mean, that's, that's a pretty easy change. And I'm, I'm sure that the security forces career field manager could put something like that in place, but I don't, I also don't want to call him or her out on that either. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the issues it's just for the career field as a whole is just, just sometimes they just need a one body to stand at the gate. Uh, and anything, anything that might limit the people that come in, um, it's just something they will not enact. Uh, and if you go to any civilian law enforcement agency, you're probably going to do a polygraph. You're, you're going to have a side to email, um, especially now that everybody looking, you know, over the past couple of years, how law enforcement has been perceived. Um, you know, it's even more important than ever to make sure the right personality types are going into law enforcement. But unfortunately, the three thousand people that just need to get people in the door, get them to basic training, and get them out the post. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's it is important uh, for this crew, this crew section of the crew to with a dagger program do it for to just make sure they're they're picking the right personality types. Stuff like your your PT, we can we can get that better. You know, I mean, we've got especially now with the POTIF, like we've got certified strength conditioning coaches we have access to. Like if you're struggling with the PT, we can make that better. Uh, if you're if your shooting sucks, you know we can get with a guy like Jordan. Jordan's incredible shot. He's actually I'm gonna give him a little bit of kudos. He's one of the best shots I've seen come to the pipeline. But I know he puts in a lot of work in his free time too. Like as a security forces member, you're just not going to get enough trigger time to truly get to be a good, a good shot. You're going to have to spend some time on your own, going to the range, buying a box of ammo, as expensive as it is now, to become a better shot because it's a perishable skill. So those things we can work on, we can improve. Uh, if you're an a hole, I, I can't fix that. <laughs> 
Well, there, <laughs> I don't know, Jordan, you tell me, are there some ways that we could uh, do corrective measures? <laughs> uh, I've definitely, uh, yeah, I've met some people and even probably been that person once or twice myself and uh, was corrected real quickly. I think, uh, um, we, I think sweating for it when you, when you got get put in an uncomfortable situation, uh, is definitely a good teaching tool. I think I've had a couple times in my career where, um, it wasn't straight to paperwork. It was straight to, you know, some one-on-one time or a couple, a couple good hours of exercise that made you learn real quick and decided, Hey, I wasn't going to do that again, or I wasn't going to be that person again. So I think that's definitely a good teaching tool, but there is definitely something to be said that, um, some people just aren't a good fit and that's the way it is. Some people maybe don't have or more motivated for themselves than they are for the team. And that happens. Um, you definitely want to find people who are very much um, outward more about others than they are about themselves is definitely a good, uh, a good aspect to look for. I think you made a good point about the, uh, the paperwork. I think in our, in our communities um, when, when someone makes a mistake, uh, and, and people tend to look at this as a negative if we have corrective actions that are not paperwork. The, the way I view that is if I'm taking a corrective action that's not paperwork, I'm still investing in that person. I still see their potential. I don't want to give them paperwork. I want to fix the problem so that they can move forward, so the team can move forward and all that. I'll, I'll tell you from my where I sit, if I start giving you paperwork and you're, you're a student or a young guy on team or whatever, that's the beginning of the not investing in you anymore process. So, uh, you know, we, 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 people say words like punishment and all that other stuff. And no, it's a, it's an investment in, in your human capital that you have, uh, to get them back on the right track, as opposed to, you know, starting a paperwork trail and, and, you know, start that divesting of them from the, from the team and the environment. Definitely throw it out there. (laughs) We don't, we, we don't do a lot of paperwork. I, yeah, I definitely don't do a lot of paperwork. I would rather. Um, take somebody out and do some extra training, if you will, uh, versus giving paperwork. But that's that's just me. Um, Lance, you you brought up POTIF, uh, and I know that's a SOCOM program and an AFSOC program. I wasn't tracking that you guys had POTIF, so that's that's interesting. What do you guys? What does your POTIF look like? Yeah, so it's the, another acronym, right? Preservation of the Force and Family. Uh, and over the last couple of years, they've slowly been integrating more access to of that to the security forces. Uh, I can't speak to Canon as much. I'm sure Jordan can kind of comment a little bit on what they have available. But at Herbert Field, um, we have a a uh, licensed uh, counselor uh, there at the squadron. And of course, for cops, it's super important. And uh, this kind of hits a, a mark at home, especially because the career field as a whole has the worst suicide rate. Um, it's just a lot of people don't like the career field they're in. They have easy access to firearms, crappy hours, things of that nature. So someone you can go talk to if you're just completely feel like you're fed up, um, which has been, I mean, I, I've used it coming back from the deployment my own, just being able to talk to somebody about the stuff I was going through, divorce, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so honestly, having access to that is huge, but we also have access to those strength conditioning coaches. So they're not embedded the same way they are with you guys, where they're there kind of every day to help you with your workouts and tailor them to you. But we have access to go over to them uh, and you know basically start to, to integrate for the training they have available. And now I believe they're using one of the one or two of the strength conditioning coaches and possibly even one of the nutritious nutritionists or dietitians for the actual dagger pipeline too to kind of tailor tailor the, the workouts that are going on during those nine weeks uh, to become more of a uh, I guess a, a more well thought out program to build people up versus just kind of the the way it used to be. Honestly, it was just like you just did workouts that sucked. Um, you know, naturally, if you if you do work, you're gonna make some gains. But you know, with the preservation of the force and family hires these really smart strength conditioning coaches that are coming from collegiate and professional sports worlds. And if your goal is to make someone a better rucker or make them better at push-ups, uh, they've got they've got the knowledge and know how to make it happen. You just got to show up and be willing to put in the work that they're uh, the scaffolding that they kind of put out for you. And Jordan, what does y'all's look like? Is it is it very similar? Yes, it's uh, it's very similar. So they've just started integrating um, certified athletic trainers um, into the squadrons. So the security forces squadron, you'll see a certified athletic trainer that can help you with your goals, what you want to do to 
um, essentially work smarter while you're working harder so that you uh, can kind of stay off injury and avoid that and, and, and make those gains, whether it be in your cardiovascular system or muscular, however you'd like to do it, um, as well as mental health professionals. Um, the M, we have the MFLAC. Uh, for the life of me, I can't remember what that stands for, but essentially just a mental health professional that you can go and talk to. If uh, something's going on, you need to talk to whether it be family issues, something like that's going on in your life. Uh, you can definitely go talk to them. I'll say I was no, looking it up right now. Millet. Uh, yeah, that's not it. <laughs> it. I know it stands for like military family liaison counselor, I think is what it is, but it's a, it's, yeah. it's a social worker. I believe that's acronyms, correct, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, they're, they're a great asset. Um, and man, I just, everybody that watches the show knows that I like, I've got a special place in my heart for POTIF, you know, uh, we've had uh, Sergeant Major Matt Parrish on from SOCOM. He is the senior enlisted leader for POTIF at the headquarters. So I, man, POTIF programs have helped me out so much. So I, I really, enjoy talking about them and, and building them up. So I, I think it's awesome to hear that you guys have got POTIF at your units. Um, and that'll kind of go into my next question because the whole point of POTIF is to take um, for longevity, right? It, it's to keep members that are in healthy um, and in a good mental space and a good physical space as well as take people that are maybe some maybe broken and then help build them, get them back up to hundred percent. But um, since we're talking about longevity, like how long can I, how long can somebody stay a dagger once they transition? Like, is there a certain rank where they have to kind of go back to security forces or can they, you know, continue on to be the senior enlisted leader of a, of a dagger unit? Uh, yeah, so I can take this one if that's cool. Um, so it can vary. Um, you have to understand that with security forces, what we have billets for. So if you rank out of your billet, say you're in a staff sergeant or a tech sergeant billet, and you rank out, say you rank the master, uh, there's really nowhere for you to sit anymore. Um, but on the flip side of that, we're looking at anywhere you could spend as little as three years. Um, currently I've been here about three years. I'm getting ready to PCS, uh, to, uh, a regional training center. So I won't be doing the dagger thing directly, uh, anymore, at least not for the time being. Um, but you could also spend as much as eight years in this community. Uh, we've had plenty of guys who have gone from Canon that have, uh, done three, four, five years and then PCS to Kadena or Mill Hall. And then they're signed on to do another three to four years there. So you could spend a considerable amount of time. Um, if just things align, billets are there, uh, if things line up, you could spend a considerable amount of time and part of your career in this community. Yeah. And one, one other thing to add to that too, is that, that, uh, special duty identifier that you get once you graduate a dagger course, it follows you through your whole career as a security force member. So you may, you know, uh, for us, the, the dreaded thing is getting sent up to the new field. Um, it's a mission that has to be done. It's not exactly a fun mission. Um, but there's a, a, a huge movement, a flux of personnel within the career field that, you know, go from good location to spend two years in the northern tier defending missile silos. And then, you know, you do that and then you still got that identifier that you can plug in for for as long as the rank lines up uh, to go back to another duty station uh, for, you know, E6 or E7 billet. Uh, and continue on with the dagger mission. We've had we have had people do that in the past. Uh, you may have to go back to Herbert Field for a top off of training, just kind of as a refresher, depending on how long it's been. Um, but I think most of the people don't have a problem doing that anyway. Because in all honesty, the majority of the school is is fun. You know, you're getting paid to shoot, you get paid to drive cars, you get paid to to get fit. Uh, plus, you know, we have weekends off. You can enjoy the beach outside of Herbert Field and the, the Destin in Pensacola area. So. You know, there's there's a reason there's a reason people try to get get into this job besides just uh, just doing the doing the mission to be perfectly honest. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we've had guys that have popped in and popped out before, so it is, it is doable. I, I tell the thing I give a recommendation for people for troops is that like security forces curriculum, like I've mentioned, has a lot of people, and unfortunately, you don't get individual treatment. Um, you are just a number. 
to the group of unfortunately. And if you're not proactive about what you want to do with your career and hit those buttons on AMS or, it's, or trying to retrain or doing what you want to do with your career, you're just going to get told to do something and you may not enjoy it. So try to be proactive about what you want to do with your career. Yeah, and just real quick, Trent, because I know you're going to hop in here, but um, I know it sounds bad what Lance just said is like, hey, you know, you're just a number. But in the reality of it, you know, the Air Force has, I think right now, 360, 365,000 people. Uh, the security forces career field, I think, is either the largest or the second to the largest with 28,000 people, maybe 30,000 people. Like, I mean, that's that's a lot of people. So imagine being the career field manager, as in one person, maybe a couple of people trying to manage that. So being able to, you know, know Lance, Jordan specifically, uh, unless they had interactions with them, you know, at, at an assignment, they're not going to know. So at that point, you you do become a number as bad as that sounds. But, you know, that's why you have senior enlisted leaders at each of the squadrons to help, you know, put that that name to the face or that face to the name and, and that kind of stuff and to make it more um, empathetical and personal. Sounds like we need to get the security forces uh, CFM on the podcast yeah. and, and grill them and be like, so, you know, Jordan and Lance, right? Yeah. Right? But <laughs> I'm already saying. not well liked. <laughs> no. No, but uh, Lance, you actually stop answering my questions before I ask them because uh, you're killing me. So I'm just going to ask Jordan. Uh, we, we've been talking about uh, specifics and, and all the things you can do to a certain extent. But here towards the end of the podcast, I want you to like besides the the moving on to doing other things, like what's the selling point? You know, t- tell me about the cool trips, the gear, you know, everyone wants to know suppressors, nods. We talked about it a little bit, but Jordan, what's the selling point for Dagger? What What is the coolest part about it and what what have you gotten out of it so far? I think it's it's very um, unlike regular security forces. I'd say yeah, it's very unconventional to your normal security forces uh, unit or duty station. Definitely getting to the trains I've gotten to do, go to um, be trained by civilians over on the East Coast, uh, generally prior Green Berets, Marines, things like that. I get a lot of good pre, uh, pre-deployment training from them. Um, Something I think was pretty cool, like my rifle that I was issued for my first deployment was the Mark 18 suppressed. And I, like, I'm a gun guy, so I thought that was super cool. Um, That's cool. Yeah, just yeah, different um, bits of gear. Uh, I want to like kind of denote that gear shouldn't be the primary motivator. But if you are kind of that gear guy, um, you do have more of the funding here where you're going to get outfitted a little bit better. Um, and be given those tools to get the job done. That's that's honestly why I see these things as they're tools to help you better perform your job or your duties. So those are definitely things that that you'll have access to now. Um, ops tempo is a little bit higher. So if that's something you like, going to places that are not really the norm for security forces, getting to go to different parts of Africa or the Middle East that uh, maybe other security forces units aren't going to. And then just getting to work with um, different agencies and entities. Um, I've gotten to work with um, a couple different uh, ST units, uh, supported uh, first SFG uh, a couple times in exercises. And the people you get to meet and interact with, I think, is definitely, um, it's very different and it's, it's very refreshing. It's a very, very cool experience. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's definitely a better, a better world when it comes to your piece. Uh, it's, it's not perfect. We're still trying to kind of figure out how the sustainability piece for all that for because we kind of don't get lumped in the same pot of money as uh, some of the other career fields that are within AppSoft D, but uh, we do have access to way better stuff than we do as regular security forces. Uh, and for me, yes, just to harp on what Jordan said, that opportunity to work with ST guys, SF guys, um, the amount of training that I've gotten, I mean, uh, tier one group, which is out, outside of uh, Memphis, Tennessee, I mean, it's one of the places to be done pre-deployment training. And, like, you'll, ha- you'll have a cadre of, of guys who instructed you together. They've got like 60 years worth of soft experience. I mean, you just, you can't, you can't even, you can't pay for that. I mean, I guess you can pay for that kind of thing because soft does it, but I mean, in the civilian <laughs> world, you just don't, it's very hard to get access to that kind of level of, of, <laughs> of experience and training. Um, I mean, we shoot a lot. If you like shooting, I mean, every it's like every other week you're going to be on the range shooting. Um, 
and then there's there's opportunities to go do stuff too like the, the thing is if you if you're a good articulator and you can articulate this kind of training that you think is valuable to the mission uh you know you can route for it and go get it done we've had we've had one-offs for different schools and things of that nature that, that are you know we think you know as, as long as you can articulate how it affects the mission and providing you know security anti-terrorism or for AFSOC, you know you're, you're probably gonna you're probably gonna get green as soon as the money is there um and then the last thing is just getting to travel too i mean it's a flyway security mission I mean, I've been all over western and eastern africa uh of course like when you go in and out of places you end up in europe uh in the philippines of course in afghanistan uh you just you get to travel and see parts of the world that you really would as a regular as a regular defender man well i i know i really appreciate it guys i know peaches does this has been if nothing else very educational for the two of us uh and i'm sure all the folks out there that are looking to get into the air force they they want to hear about all the opportunities and all the things that that are available right and i think one of the things that we come to all the time is if you're proactive and if you're a worker and you don't quit there are you know beyond the the traditional you know things that we talk about on this podcast the aspect war stuff specifically uh there, there are tons of opportunities out there in the air force and the military and all you got to do is, is grind and, and go find what you want and find your place so uh, appreciate it and for everybody else out there we're gonna wrap this up unless uh peaches anything else he's giving me the look like wrap it up trent ready to go rock on um Make sure you go out there, subscribe, leave the comments, five-star reviews, all that other kind of stuff, and check out all the people that support us. We really appreciate it. And uh, we appreciate you guys coming on and, and telling us a little bit about uh, Dagger and, and can't wait to, to talk about it some more and maybe delve into some more uh, other things. I think we've got some other stuff coming up like Seer and, and a few other things. So we're, we're kind of branching out, trying to get you all the best information out there. Uh, but that's it for today. And that's uh, One's Ready Out. We'll catch you all later.